Well, it's great to be able to preach again this morning. Um, I want to just thank the preaching team that's so wonderfully done our f- introduction to our Family Matters series. Thanks, guys, everyone that preached. did such a great job. And um, we're going to come back to that in the second half of the year. Um, uh, in the second half of the year. But for now, we're gonna, I'm just going to launch this series on 1 Peter this morning, which we're going to do at the same time. So we're going to do some teaching out of 1 Peter just to set our theology and help us understand how we can be effective as we talk about things together, which are difficult things in our culture. And so 1 Peter is actually an amazing book, um, and it really addresses the big theme of 1 Peter is how do you live well in a difficult time? That's really the big theme of 1 Peter, what Peter writes about. He encourages the church how to live well when things are difficult. How many of you acknowledge that things have been difficult in the last couple of years? So Peter has got a lot that he can say to us and encourage us in. And most scholars think that this letter was written by Peter in around AD 60, 60 years after Jesus died. And it's written predominantly to Roman uh, Asia, Christians in Roman Asia, to live a godly life. And uh, the start of, of the letter, as we go through it, you'll see the believers were experiencing some persecution and difficult um, times, and it, the, the letter implies that it was likely to get worse. Right? So I always think it's good to admit to yourself sometimes that things could possibly get worse and not always be the eternal optimist, right? Now, you might say, I'm a bit depressive. I'm not really. But I think it helps you if you don't automatically assume that everything is going to get much better very quickly. And I want to say to you, kindly as I can, I still think we're in for a long haul, all right? I don't think we're out of this yet. So there's going to be many ups and downs. And uh, Peter implies this to these people. In verse 6, he says this of chapter 1, In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer trials of various kinds, all right? That's always the Bible never, never tells us how much a little while is. Alright, but Peter is saying, for a little while, you might have some difficult things. I want to say to you, for a little while, we might still have some difficult things. Then he goes on in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 14, and he implies that perhaps it could get more difficult. He says this, um, even if you should suffer what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear people's threats. Do not be frightened, but in your heart... Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for, and give the reason for the hope that you have. Amen? So in the midst of this difficult situation that we are right smack bang in the middle of, I hope that you will become a source of joy to people and be able to give the reason to others for the hope that you have that separates you out from everyone else who's kind of like panicking right now. Amen? We have a reason to hope. We have a living hope called Jesus, and He is the reason that we can hope. And we're going to unpack, the, unpack these things as we go forward. And then in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, again, Peter's saying, just reminding them again, and he says, he says this, My dear friends, do not be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes upon you to test you, as, as though something strange was happening to you. <laughs> Peter's helping them say, keep your perspective. Don't be surprised when difficult stuff comes, as if this shouldn't happen to you. Like, why is this happening to me? Peter's saying, no, actually, all of you, my dear friends, my 
scattered throughout of all of the Roman Empire. My dear ones, don't be surprised when difficult things happen. Yeah? And so this is the great encouragement of this letter. And he carries on and he says, Rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, that you might be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. And so Peter, we think, uh, wrote this letter in Rome. Um, and if you look in chapter 5, you'll see that he uses the, the word Babylon to describe Rome. And he uses it as, as a metaphor uh, because Rome was well known for its luxury, for its wealth, its excess, its wickedness. Just like the ancient uh, Persian Empire, Babylon was well known for the same things. So Peter uses this word to describe Rome, ba Babylon. And then he also, we'll see in the, the verses we're going to read this morning, he mentions five areas. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And those are referred to areas just north. If you think of Turkey, and you know where Ephesus is, just north of, of, uh, of Ephesus is what was called South Galatia. And that's what he's speaking about. And that was the area that um, Paul planted churches. And so Peter's talking about the area just north of that where uh, no, Paul had, uh, had not been allowed to preach in. And I, as an introduction, I am aware the kids are in this morning, uh, but I do want to try and lay a good foundation for us, right? So I'll try and be brief, and I'll try and... Oh, they're upstairs. Okay, good. All right, then I'll just go for it. All right. <laughs> okay, so one of the most amazing things about 1 Peter is actually that Peter did write it. And why do I say that? Because it's so important to remember how Peter started out his life, and it reminds me again of my own life, that it's not so important how you start, it's much more important how you finish. All right, and I know that's a cliche, but it's true. And so Peter started as a Jewish fisherman in Bethsaida, and his business was based in Capernaum. And now at, towards the end of his life, he finds himself living in Rome, the biggest city of the ancient world, uh, ministering pre predominantly to, to, to not Jews, but to Gentiles. In the whole of the Asian region, this fisherman that had started as a simple man with a simple business ends up ministering powerfully to all these Christians all over Asia. And um, all of us, every single one of us, are influenced by where we were born, what education we had, our natural character, our gifts, and that helps shape us and make us who we are so we can become useful for God's kingdom. But I want to say most importantly, more than all those things, is what happens to you after you meet Jesus. That shapes you most of all in terms of how you live and what you do. And that certainly was true for Peter. Um, if you remember the story, uh, he, f he first meets Jesus in Bethany, Bethany, close to the Jordan River, where Andrew who, uh, takes him along. We know that from John 1. And he takes him along to meet Jesus, and meeting Jesus totally transforms Peter's life. Totally. And so he becomes, over a period of time, he becomes one of the inner three of the twelve apostles. Uh, he becomes one of the most important leaders in the church in Jerusalem. We know that from Acts 1 and Acts 3. He's the one on the day of Pentecost. He's the preacher. He gets up and explains to people what's happened when the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter 2. And um, somehow later in his life, he ends up in, in Rome, and uh, we don't know how he ended up there, but in, in around AD 60, he's in Rome. Just also to say, we know that in the first decades of the early church, the first couple of centuries, uh, decades, not centuries, the first century, the first couple of decades, the church did have some minor persecution when it was born, 
and uh, as it was in its infancy. But that became much, much worse by the time Peter's life is about to end in AD 60 because there's the crazy guy called Nero who's become empire, uh, emperor, and he really starts persecuting the Christians uh, in a really um, 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 terrible way. And so when Paul is writing this letter, he's, uh, Peter's writing this letter, he's talking about those early years when there was minor persecution uh, and we know that tradition says that he, he was killed in around AD 67. Um, Peter and tradition says that he was crucified, but he chose to be crucified upside down so that he would not be crucified in the same way that Jesus was. That's what tradition teaches. We don't know if that's true. But I want to just um, focus on two things out of the first couple of verses this morning. Uh, one, I want to look in general at Peter as an, a human being, a man, and how we can learn from him. And secondly, I want to consider the people that he's writing this letter to. All right? So first of all, we're going to look at Peter. And secondly, we're going to look at the people he's writing to. So I'm going to just read to you from verse 1. It says, uh, I'm going to read a couple of versions because there's some language I want to point out. It says this in chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles... Uh, some, people, some translations use the word sojourner, pilgrims, of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus and with the sprinkling of His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, whenever I hear grace and peace, I get really excited because that's what I want more and more in my life, grace and peace. That helps us day to day. If we're full of grace, full of peace, life goes well. Well, we are not full of grace and full of anger and full of shouting at people because we don't agree about the politics or how things are happening in the country. Never brings joy into your life. All it brings is anger. All it brings is a lack of peace. So let's learn to be full of grace and peace. I, um, I want to use uh, another translation as well. Michael Eaton translated directly from the Greek, and he says this. He, says, he uses these words. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's chosen ones, temporary residents of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, etc., etc. So he uses slightly different words. So why, why do I think this is important? Because sometimes we can just skip over the introduction, like get it out of the way. But it's so rich if we really just take some time to think about um, what it's saying. So let's consider Peter for a moment, right? You know, probably know Peter's story really well from the New Testament. Uh, his name is mentioned more in the Gospels than anyone except Jesus, right? No one speaks in the Gospels as much as Peter does except Jesus. Um, he was a family man. He was married. He had a wife. He had a mother-in-law in Capernaum. And we know from the New Testament that much of Jesus' ministry was based, when he was in Galilee, was based in Peter's mother's-in-law home, in, in a home. And he went there frequently, and Jesus used it as a, as, as a base. We know, too, that Peter was bold. He was adventurous. Uh, he was full of uh, impetu impetuous faith. Um, and it, it, because of that, he made some bad mistakes in his life, all right? So he was a kind of three steps forward and two steps back kind of guy. Um, and Jesus rebuked Peter more than he rebuked anyone else. And he was the only disciple that had the courage to challenge Jesus directly, Peter. That's the kind of guy he is. Um, he was 
he was the guy that put out his nets to get the catch of fish in response to Jesus' command. He was the one that stepped out of the boat in the storm, if you remember, to walk on the water. He was the one that Jesus took with him to see Moses and Elijah on the Mount of, of Transfiguration. Um, Jesus praised Peter more than anyone else, and he also at the same time said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Uh, he kind of, this is the kind of person that Peter was. Um, Peter was the one who asked Jesus uh, after the encounter with the rich young ruler how many times uh, what they would receive uh, if they gave up all to uh, follow Jesus. Um, and he was the one who said to, to Jesus, don't wash my feet. And then when Jesus said, well, then you can't have any part of my kingdom, Peter says, well, then wash all of me. He's that kind of guy. He's just like one extreme to the other. Just wash all of me. Um, he's the one who cuts off the the heir of the soldier, Malchus, um, the servant of the high priest, Peter's the one, takes out his sword, chops the guy's ear off. Uh, he's the one who ran with John from the tomb uh, to tell all the disciples on the day of the resurrection after hearing the report from the woman. He was also the one that had a personal visit from Jesus, the resurrected king, to restore him in front of the other disciples after he had denied him so vehemently in front of others. What a guy. What an amazing man, Peter. And we know also that he led the early church in Jerusalem for a number of years. And from uh, the, ch the chapters that we read in Acts, we know that um, in Herod's rule, uh, Herod killed James, um, the brother of, of John. And Peter then gets thrown into jail. And an, an uh, angel comes miraculously and helps him escape. And after he's escaped from prison, we read this in Acts 12. It says Peter goes to a house. It says, Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed and motioned him with his hand to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and all the brothers, and he departed and went to another place. Now, there's been much debate what that another place was, but I agree with many people that believe that he went to Rome. And so it could be true that for about 25 years, Peter used Rome as his headquarters from about AD 40 to about AD 67 when he was killed at the hands of Emperor of the Emperor Nero. And it was during those 25 years that we know he traveled a lot. He traveled all over Asia with his wife. And he went and ministered into churches and he encouraged people. And how do I know that? Because it says so. The Bible says so in 1 Corinthians 9. It says uh, when Paul is speaking and defending how he's behaving as, a, as an apostle. He says this of Peter, Do we not have the right to eat and drink? He's talking about those that travel for ministry. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Peter? So there we know. Peter traveled with his wife, traveled all over Asia, ministering, encouraging, building churches up. And so in summary then, yeah, five things that I want to just take all those th thoughts and put them together for you to remember about Peter, this amazing man. First, he had an ordinary beginning to his life and his ministry. Doesn't that encourage you? He didn't come from a wealthy, famous, or educated family. And as I've studied more and more church history and, and uh, looked at the Scripture, it's so encouraging to me to remind of myself of that, that God can transform the lives of ordinary people and make them into extraordinary people that do amazing things for his kingdom. And more often than not, as much as I've, I've read, he doesn't usually use the wealthy or the famous or the high-born. 
There are very, very few times in church history that you see the highborn and the wealthy and the famous get used. It's normally ordinary people with a soft heart that God does extraordinary things through them, through their lives. Now, if you're wealthy and educated this morning, that does not disqualify you at all. All right? What qualifies us is our hearts and how God can use us. All right? So, Paul, uh, Paul, you see how you can see how I'm used to preaching Paul all the time. I keep saying Paul instead of Peter. So Peter had an ordinary beginning. Let that encourage you. Secondly, Peter was a changed man. He knew firsthand the life-transforming power of the Spirit in his life. And through all of the ups and downs of his life, Peter the fisherman becomes Peter the apostle. So I want to encourage you. I don't know where you are in your life. Perhaps you're you are, you are starting out in your life, your ministry, perhaps you're halfway, perhaps like me, you're getting towards the end. But I know this, that throughout your life, God transforms you and uses you powerfully for what He's called you to do, and that's an amazing journey. So each of us have that privilege of having the life-transforming power of the Spirit in our lives, enabling us to do what God has called us to do. Thirdly, Peter was a learner. Remember what Jesus said to him in Matthew 4.18, right at the beginning. He says this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And throughout his life, Peter the fisherman does learn how to be a fisher of men through the power of the Spirit of his life. And in the end of his life, he is ministering all over Asia to people that have been saved, that have become the fish that have been caught. Isn't that incredible? So Peter responds to this call, and God is faithful, Jesus is faithful, and he does to Peter what he promised he would do. He helps him to become a fisher of men. Fourthly, Peter becomes a stable man. And, and for me, I just do want to just highlight this a, lit, a little bit. Peter's life is characterized by in, much inst, instabili, instability. But after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, God gives him a growing steadiness in his life. He continues to have ups and downs, but then he starts to be used in a powerful, powerful way in his life. Now, I want to... I just, I was thinking about this week, you know, our culture right now, there's so much anger in our culture, isn't there? And we, we kind of like, we must respond passionately about these things and give our opinion about everything. And, and then, so it's like we've, the culture's encouraging us to have a hot head, you know? That's like, speak and t say what you think and stand up for your rights and what a, what a, what a. And then it also encourages us to have a cold heart. <laughs> Cut off those that don't agree with you. Cancel them. Put them in a box so that they can never get out of the box and remind them of something that they might have tweeted 20 years ago and bring it up again and cancel them. Hot head, cold heart. Bible, gospel, exactly the opposite way around. Cool head. Keep your head in all situations, says Paul to Timothy, the young man. All the young guys here, keep your head don't just believe what you're told. Question, think, think, think. Keep a head in this culture that's trying to influence you and keep your head. Have a cool head and a warm heart. Love people, especially those that disagree with you. 
love them. That's what the Bible says we should do. Peter became more and more a stable man, not so up and down, by the power of the Holy Spirit, loving people as God transformed him from the inside out. And that's the journey for you, and that's the journey for me. The Holy Spirit is the person that teaches us to respond like that, to have a cool head, to have a warm heart, to be steadfast, to be sure, to be stable when everyone around us is going like this. We're not called to go like that. We're called to be salt and light and to bring calm to the storm in people's lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Lastly, Peter was called, um, and he, God brought him powerfully into this ministry as an apostle. So there, there are five little things. Ordinary life, ordinary beginning. He knew the power of the life-transforming spirit in his life. He continued to be a learner. He grew more and more stable throughout his life, and he was called in a powerful way. Second thing I want to consider with you this morning are the words that Peter uses to describe those that are reading the letter. All right, he says this. He says they are temporary residents, they are called, they are chosen, they are the elect, they are pilgrims of the dispersion. He uses the Greek, uh, the, uh, the word described for Jewish people, diaspora, those that were scattered all over. Um, and that's fascinating because Peter's not just doing that randomly. He's really teaching the people how God sees them and their position in the kingdom. He's really doing that in a profound way through the use of these words. So the idea here in the introduction is that they are pilgrims, that they are exiles, that they are sojourners, that this is a temporary place for them. They're living in a foreign land. That's the idea. And I was reading um, this early Christian writer. There's a, it's called the Epistle of Diogenes. And uh, he kind of says this. He gives the idea, unpacks a little bit of what a pilgrim is. He says this. Um, pilgrim gives the idea... Uh, he says, they, pilgrims inhabit the land of their birth, but as temporary residents of it, they take their share of all the responsibilities as citizens, and they endure all disabilities as aliens. Every foreign land is their native land, and every native land is a foreign land, and they pass all of their days upon this earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. I've always felt an alien. I don't say this like to boast, but I've always felt an alien. When I, felt in, when I lived, grew up in South Africa, I never felt like I belonged there. Never. I, I'm, I'm not being, uh, what's the word, unpatriotic. I just never felt it was my home. And you know what? I've been living here in the UK for 20 years, and I don't feel like it's my permanent home. I love being here. I love the people, but it's not my home. Why? Because right from the, a young age, my father taught me that my residency is in heaven. And wherever I live, whatever land I choose to live in, that becomes my home, but only for a while, because my eternal home is where my heart is. And that's what I'm longing for. One day I will be with Christ. I will be with Him. And all of those that have loved him throughout the ages. This, my friends, is a temporary place for you. <laughs> Don't live like it is a permanent place. Too many Christians are living like this is it. And that's why we get so upset about stuff when we lose stuff. 
or when we lose our health or whatever it is, too upset with the stuff because we rarely see this as our permanent home. And my friends, it is not. We have a home in heaven with Christ. Let's live like we really believe that. Amen? And so, um, Peter uses these words to help them understand that they are, they are, this is a temporary home. But he also uses these words to teach them about holiness. And I really want you to get this this morning. The gospel never begins by telling you, you must live a moral life. You must be a good person. If you've heard that preached, I want to say respectfully, it's not the gospel. The gospel starts not by living your best life. The gospel starts with, this is Jesus. This is the Father. This is what He's done for you. And when you begin to realize what He's done for you, you start automatically to live differently. You don't start with being trying to be a moral or good person. You start with loving Jesus because He's touched your life. And when you love Jesus, everything else changes. The gospel always starts by telling us who we are, not what we must do. And so Peter's underlining this to everyone who's reading the letter because he wants them to be able to live a godly life in a difficult time. And the first thing that he does, he reminds them that they are chosen. God's chosen ones, God, God's elect, God's called ones, whatever the language is in your, in your translation. I want to remind you this morning that as you sit here, you are chosen by God the Father in eternity. Before the beginning of time, you were chosen. And that should give you such security that God has chosen you to know Him. And He's chosen you to lavish His love upon. And um, again, Peter used the, uses the word uh, diaspora, to, to speak about they are chosen ones and scattered throughout this diaspora. That was, that was used um, of Jewish people, um, reminding them of what they had under Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon when they were scattered because of, um, of, of that persecution. And after 70 years, they were able to go back to Israel. But many stayed scattered all throughout the ancient empires, so the Greek and the Roman empires. And so when Peter uses it, he's using that as a, a, an analogy and saying, actually now, Christians, everyone that believes in Jesus, you are scattered all over the world. You are like the Jewish diaspora. You're all scattered. And all over the world now we have Jews, um, we have Christian believers in, in, in every uh, culture. And so he reminds them, the chosen ones scattered um, throughout the Asian basin. Secondly, not only are they called, he reminds them that they are loved especially by God. That's the thing I want to, second thing I want to remind you of this morning. You are loved especially by God because you are sitting here. He uses this, this phrase. He says, chosen them according to his foreknowledge. Now, wherever you read that in the Bible, when you read knowledge or foreknowledge, it normally is speaking about God's love towards you, his foreknowledge, his love towards you. So, so God knows everyone. God, God loves everyone. But the Bible also teaches that he loves some people especially. <laughs> he does. He loves some people especially, and it's, it means that he sets his heart upon some people especially, and he calls them. So he loves everyone but he calls some, and his special love is upon some people, and that normally means that he's just especially cared, uh, full of care and concern for you, all right? 
That's what it means to be called, that God's love is specially upon you and is really concerned for you. And this, this is where people get confused because to say that God foreknew you doesn't mean, the Bible doesn't teach that it means automatically that God knows exactly what you're going to do every single moment of every single day. Or that He's planned out your future that's so you don't have any say in it, that you can't exercise your will. No, when God sets His heart upon you and His love upon you especially, he say, He's saying, I'm going to give you, Rosemary, a destiny for your life. And my love is going to move you towards that destiny, Sean. I've got a, I've got a destiny for your, love, for, your, for your curse. And because my heart is specially set upon you, I'm going to do everything to help you achieve the destiny for your life. And you will walk with me, and you'll get to know me. And as you do that, your destiny will unfold. That's what it means to be known, especially by God. So all of you this morning, God has called you and chosen you. He set His heart upon you. He has a destiny for your life that He wants you to enjoy. And as you love Him and get to know Him, that becomes known by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you begin to walk in it. Thirdly, I've only got five points and then I'm done. Thirdly, we see that all of these people that he's writing to, all these Christians, they knew the sanctification of the Spirit. That's what he says, sanctified. by the, What is he talking about? He's talking about when they got saved. He's talking about that moment of conversion, that they knew God had chosen them and saved them, and then the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit begins in their lives, cleansing them, transforming them, making them more and more like Jesus. And we, we read this as a common theme throughout the whole New Testament. So, for example, 1 Corinthians 6, 11. It names a whole lot of kinds of people in that chapter. And then Paul says, and some of you were like that, but you were washed, you were cleansed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Spirit of God. So what, Peter's saying the same thing. Whatever you were, it doesn't matter what you were, how you lived, how immoral you were, when Paul writes, he's saying, some of the Corinthians, you were exactly like that. That's what you were. But the power of the Spirit came, and, and you were saved and sanctified and called out and separated and cleansed. And that's true for you. That's true for me. So it doesn't matter what your history was, my friends. Whatever history you've had doesn't matter. Why? But God has called you chosen you, loved you, set his heart towards you, saved you, sanctified you, past tense, you're already made clean, and that's been worked out in your life, and one day you will be glorified together with him and know Christ in heaven one day. Isn't that good news? It is. And the Hebrews 10.10 says the same thing, and by that will we will be sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. And thirdly, we know the, the, the writers, that he's, the readers of this letter, he's saying, not only you were called and chosen and sanctified, but you are being prepared for obedience. That's what it says in the, the verse. And that's what, when Jesus transforms us by the power of his Spirit, he's preparing us to live a life for him. And it's a life of obedience. And here again, I want to say to you, God has not saved you to make you into a moral person, to make you a good guy. I hope there's some good things that flow out of your life. Absolutely. But the primary reason that he saves you and me is not that we kind of become the most moral, sort of self-righteous 
people that point out everyone else's faults. No, the reasons that He saves us is so that we can live a life of obedience that brings glory to Him. That's what it's about. You are saved to become obedient to the call of God on your life so that you can begin to walk into the destiny that He has for you. That's why you're saved. And along the way, hopefully, some good things happen out of your life. You become less angry, more patient, kinder, more compassionate, more like Jesus as you walk along and He transforms you. All right, I'm nearly finished. Fourth, do you notice that their willingness to obey Jesus produces in them a clear and a clean conscience? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Man, that's a beautiful thing. To live your life with a clear conscience, free from guilt, knowing that you're washed. Man, that is such a, such a powerful thing. That's why he adds, Peter adds, sprinkled by his blood. What does the blood do? The blood washes. The blood rem- cleanses our conscience, reminds us that we are no longer red as scarlet, but we are white as snow. That's the powerful thing. And our consciences are clear because we know our sins are forgiven. How much, how much behavior in our culture don't we see that is motivated by guilt, by unforgiveness, are people not knowing that they truly have a God, a Father in heaven who loves them, who set them free from all that, and that they can live life with a clear conscience. That's why I get so angry about all this cancel culture stuff, because it's not allowing young people to be free of mistakes they've made. How many of you made mistakes in your life when you were, when you were young? Okay, I'm putting up both my hands, my feet... And why, do, why would you want to remind people all the time of what they said 20 years ago or 10 years ago? Or it's, like, it's like saying, you can't ever change. And we're going to remind you that you're always going to be the same. And we're going to punish you. Every tweet we can, we'll punish you. You don't agree with me? I'll punish you. I'll punish you on social media. I'll make sure that you never forget that you are in the wrong. The gospel, exactly the opposite. Exactly. You're past is gone forever. Every bad thing you ever said, gone. Why? Because there's a God who loves you. There's a Father who loves you. He wants the best for you. And He wants you to live free. Free. Of course, we are sorry for the things we've done and said, but they're gone. That's good news, my friends. Especially in this culture, that's good news. How do you want to live? Do you want to live free with a clear conscience? Let the blood of Christ sprinkle your life, cleanse you. And finally, this great, great longing that Peter has for these people. He's summarized in this tiny little verse right at the end. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. And like I said in the beginning, wherever I read those words, I want to say the same thing to you. Grace and peace multiplied to you. Not just enough, more than enough. Grace and peace over your life. Every single one of you here this morning and your families, let grace and peace be multiplied to you for the rest of this year and into your future that you would know the kindness and the goodness of God in your life and you would share that with every single other person that you can. Grace and peace to you. That's what Peter says. To all those that are called, chosen, sanctified, 
obedient believers by the power of the Holy Spirit, grace and peace. And there ends the introduction. And then we get into the good stuff next week. Amen? Grace and peace to every single one of you. Let's pray. I want to thank you, Lord, for the richness of your word, the goodness of your word to us, that your word is there to bring us life. And even when we just read a simple greeting written 2,000 years ago by a fisherman to people that he didn't even know in churches that had been birthed and Christians had been saved into, we want to thank you that they're life to us. Lord, thank you that you've called us, that you've chosen us. Thank you that this world is not our home, but heaven is our home. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we can enjoy from guilt and sin because of the blood of Jesus that sanctifies us, washes us, cleanses us. Thank you that's a means of grace in our lives. And God, I pray, I pray that we would just know more and more your peace and your grace in the midst of a world that is so angry, so bitter, pointing the finger at everybody else, help us just to surrender our lives to you. Holy Spirit, teach us that we might be a source of kindness and peace and grace to everyone that we have the pleasure of meeting this week. Pray that all in the precious name of Jesus. Everyone says, Amen.